Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball. That's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest at betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and make your picks. All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sportsnet. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree. Rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com backslash Forbes. This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. Today, we're going to go deep into esports. So I'm speaking with Patrick Soulier. He's the global esports and gaming marketing manager at Micron Technology. Patrick, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate your time and uh, letting me come on the show. So in, in the reading I've been doing about your background, to sum it up, it seems like you're the ultimate gaming geek. Is, is that too far from the truth? That is pretty accurate. I got into gaming at a very young age, back with the Atari 2600, and it's been a major part of my life ever since. All the way, you know, I'm 31 years old now. My love for video games has not fallen off whatsoever. How early were you an avid gamer? Probably about the original Nintendo era. I had an Atari 2600, played it a decent amount, but I was still mostly into sports back then. When the NES came out, I found a lot of games I loved on it, original Mario, uh, Mega Man, all those type of things. And from that point forward, gaming was a major part of my life. So I'm doing a little quick math here. You're 31. You're talking Atari. So that would put you, what, about four or five years old? Yep. I was about four or five when I was first introduced to video games. And I would say by about somewhere between six and eight years old, I was fully into them and spending a lot of my time playing them. And how did your love for gaming evolve into where your career is today at Micron? Uh, around 2007 to 2008, I found out about the existence of esports. I literally didn't know it existed. It was very small back then. It was largely in South Korea in particular. And it was based around a game, StarCraft, that I had been playing for over 10 years at that point. Um, when I found out about this scene, I started watching a few matches, and I was instantly hooked. And before I knew it, it was becoming a major part of my weekly schedule. Back then, they only broadcasted two days a week. But those two days, I would get home from work, cook some dinner, and the first thing I was doing was watching the matches from Korea last night. How, how big a sport is e-gaming in Korea or in Asia? Talking about South Korea in particular, esports has been a major part of their culture for over 10 years now. They have TV stations which play esports games 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and those have been on for years upon years. And in the height of its peak during the StarCraft One era, they were uh, Brood War players were normal A-list celebrities in Korea. They would go through the streets and have fangirls chasing them for autographs. They would go to a tournament match. And there would be hundreds of presents, and people wanted to meet them. And when the big results would happen, it would be on the, in the papers. It's a really big deal in Asia in particular. But South Korea is definitely 
the home and it's where it really all started where it became professional for the first time i know you did some very interesting things uh involving gaming and esports before you got to micron and, and we'll get to what you're doing at micron in a second but what were some of the things that you did early on uh, around 2009, I believe it was, maybe a little bit before, I decided I wanted to get involved in esports. I saw this as really fun. I was involved in the brick paving industry before, and it was a good industry, good money, but it wasn't an exciting industry. And this esports had something that it did not. So I started my own company. It was originally called IC Cup TV, and it later went on to be renamed ESV, standing for Esports Vision. And we ran three major projects, or I ran three major projects. The first one was I ran a series of tournaments and broadcasted them on Twitch TV. Over the several years of ESV TV's existence, we've received over 20 million unique viewers. And our content was some of the most viewed content on all Twitch TV. That channel has been inactive for several years now, and it still ranks among the top 500 Twitch TV streams of all time. I also uh, created a map team to make competitive maps that the gamers would play on in-game. The map-making team went on to become the undisputed best map-making team in the game. We made all the competitive uh, maps that the players would play on, such as Cloud Kingdom and Ohana, and they're still regarded as the best maps in StarCraft's history to this day. The third major project I worked on is I mentored a South Korean player by the name of Tasia. And at the time, his team had largely abandoned him. He didn't have a fan base. Uh, nobody was really looking at this kid. And I saw some of his matches, and he played in one of my tournaments. And I said, this kid is the future of StarCraft. So I started working with him. For about two years, I mentored him daily. He didn't have a lot of confidence at the time. I helped him build that, build a professional competitive mindset. And he went on to be one of the top three players in StarCraft history, winning 13 major lands and around $400,000 in prize money. I, I just want to go back to the maps. You know, I'm a lot older than you. I think about those big paper things you unfold or, or the person sitting <laughs> next to you as I'm driving and folds to tell me where I'm going. What exactly are maps? So they're definitely not the Rand McNally maps. I remember those things when we used to go on fam uh, family vacations. We pull out. I loved going through those as a kid. <laughs> uh, Google Maps largely repla replaced that. But the maps in the game are sort of the battlefield that the players will play on. And they have unique features such as how their terrain is laid out, different points that are valuable, whether they have towers that grant vision or more resources that you need. And this battleground dictates how the game plays out. For, and to try and put it in real simple terms, say you have a very large battlefield, it will likely be a slower game as it takes the uh, players longer to get to each other. Or if you have a really small one, it can be shorter. So not only was it something that looked good visually, but it dictated how competitive play across the world was done for years on end. So a map is sort of like the instructions, if you will, of, of how a game is played and if and if you understand the map then then you would have uh if you understand it better than the other competitors it gives you an advantage is, is that correct uh yeah to a degree i think uh maybe a good sports representation would be like um and i'm not super into this but uh 
dirt bike races, you have different courses. And the, the guys riding the bikes, they have the same gear on each of these courses. Like, they'll go to this different races with the same bike. They themselves know things about it. But the rider that knows the course the best, knows how to cut seconds off it, knows how to do the little things that the others don't, will have that advantage. And that very much translates into esports as well. If you understand the map on a level your opponent doesn't, you have more options in that game to potentially win. Now, you were also a, a tournament administrator for more than 100 online tournaments and the main stage player coordinator for IPL 3, 4, and 5. As I understand it, those are multi-million dollar events in world-renowned casinos. What exactly did you do in those roles? So for the IPL events, those were run in world-class casinos. IPL 3 was in Bally's Casino in Atlantic City. And 4 and 5 were run out of the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. And for that event, it was my job to make sure that the players' needs were taken care of and that they were where they needed to be on time, that our main stage that had hundreds of thousands of viewers had to keep running at a consistent schedule. So I would have to not only know what the players look like, but keep tabs on all the players throughout the day and talk to them. Where are you going to be in an hour? Okay, uh, I'll meet you here in 45 minutes type of thing. And sometimes I'd have to go searching when they didn't show up. You know, uh, players, esports players are a young crowd. They got a little bit to learn on the professionalism side at moments. And sometimes they would come 15 minutes for a match when I'm supposed to meet someone and they're nowhere to be found. And it's my job to locate them in the city of Las Vegas in 15 minutes, which uh, wasn't very easy to say the least. For the uh, online tournament aspect, those were a little bit easier. It's mostly coordination through Skype and the game itself. However, what was unique about what I did is I ran mostly Korean tournaments. And I don't speak Korean at all. I can read a few words, but I definitely don't understand it fully. So I had to learn how not only run this tournament on schedule on time, but do so while going through another language. Uh, so that was definitely a lot of challenges and taught me a lot about how to interact with people that are only, you know, have an elementary level English. Now, now was this all just sort of the, your career path at this time as you're involved in all these various aspects of e-gaming, whether it's, you know, working with you and Jung or being tournament managers? Was it just chaos that, that sort of you're going from day to day, stepping into different roles, or did you have a plan? I always had a plan, and that was to use the skills I had learned in my previous management roles to set myself up for a career like with Micron. But as far as the tactics, they were extremely varied and were day-to-day. You had to be constantly evolving in this industry because it's new. And something that works yesterday may not work tomorrow. And you had to constantly be on top of that because if you kept doing things that didn't work, you really quickly quickly lost your reputation within the community. So it was constant innovation and changing things up. And like you mentioned, it was uh, it was a little bit chaotic day to day. There was an overall plan, but the details were constantly shifting. How do the economics of these tournaments work in terms of where does the money come from? If you're managing a tournament, who pays you? Who pays the players? Uh, who covers the expenses, etc.? Sure. So speaking when I ran my own tournaments, which is a little bit easier than a big company, I didn't have as many you know hurdles to go through. I didn't have a finance department or anything. So the money mostly comes from sponsors. You're 
you know, companies very much like what I work with Ballistics now and Micron that want to come into this esports scene and promote their products to this gaming crowd. So sponsors take up the bulk of it. There is other revenue streams as well, however. On Twitch TV, uh, if you're part of the partner program, which I am, you get a split of the ad revenue for video ads that are shown within the stream. Additionally, you receive donations from viewers. Uh, that was something I was never really big on and we didn't do a lot of. I preferred to fund it through the more traditional methods. And then the third way was a uh, subscriber model where people could subscribe, get certain benefits within the channel, and you receive part of that money from Twitch. And that was something we did in particular. We had a very attractive subscriber package where when I ran my own tournaments, we would release the replays, which a lot of others did not. And we had a whole list of benefits you got for buying our season pass, and we sold a lot of those. We... I funded the tournament originally, but the subscriptions alone ended up reimbursing all that. And then the sponsors I brought in afterwards ended up making the tournament profitable, which is you know a very, very hard trick in a new and growing industry. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. Payment is essentially the handshake at the end of every online transaction. So don't make it awkward for your customer. Make it easy. Make it secure. Make it seamless. That's what Braintree means by rethink payments. It's not just a set of steps tacked on to the end of the customer's purchase. It's an opportunity to enhance their experience of your brand and increase the likelihood of repeat purchases. That's Braintree's philosophy. Braintree. Rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Upside. The smart, new way to buy travel is Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code FORBES and you're guaranteed at least a $200 gift card your first time using Upside. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. Small businesses are the heart of our communities and the places that we could not live without. Just think of your local hardware store and how much you depend on it. Whether you have been in business for generations or recently launched, creating a website on WordPress.com can make a big impact on your business. Even if you don't have experience building a website, WordPress can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of customized themes to get you started. You'll get built-in search engine optimization and social sharing. When you build your website on WordPress.com, you are part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. Come see why 27% of all websites run on WordPress. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. Patrick, how much money do the top gamers make? Top gamer esports players can make literally millions of dollars. Uh, there's one player in particular, his uh, gaming ID is Faker, and he's the best League of Legends player in the world. League of Legends is the number one esport. He's won three world championships. Each of those world championships were a million dollar prize pool or more. 
And on top of it, when he re-signed his contract this year, some of the details leaked out into the press that it was a $2.5 million a year contract. So a lot of these players are making good money. Um, Counter-Strike players make ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month at the top end. And it, like any job, it goes all the way to the bottom. There's gamers that are just getting started that are playing for nothing or that are in smaller games that may only make 1000 or 2000 a month. But for the top end, it's very lucrative. And it's enough to set them up for life if they're smart with how they manage their money. Wow. Are their careers short? I'm just imagining you know, your reflexes have to be really very quick in order to be successful in esports. Yes, esports careers are notoriously short. You see a lot of players use the term retire from esports, and they'll be 23, 24 years old. Um, everyone's different, but as you get older, your reflexes, like you mentioned, slow down, and that's one of the biggest things in esports. There has been very few, if any, successful pro gamers past 30 years old, and a very limited amount even past 25. You find the grand majority of esports players are between the ages of 17 and I would say about 22, 23. You're normally becoming an old man in the scene when you hit about 23 or 24. <laughs> so, so, so at 57, I have no shot. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, you'd have to work a lot. It would be a, it would be a struggle. <laughs> How did you end up at Micron? I was managing a pro gaming team in a gaming house before there, and I was looking for other options. Some, I was turning 30 years old, and I said I need to get with a more traditional company, start getting my you know future settled. I have my place in this industry. And when I looked around at a lot of job listings for esports, I saw Micron. In particular, I was very familiar with both their ballistics and Crucial brands, and had been using their products for many, many years. I've used Crucial uh, products in particular for 12 years now in IT fields, in my own computer. So when I saw this, I'm like, this is a great opportunity to do global marketing, but also with a company I'm not only passionate about, but I'm passionate about their products as well. I know they're high-quality products. So I went ahead and applied, and on top of it, I wrote a 10-page sample proposal and sent it over to them with the application of what I would do if I became their global marketing manager. And apparently that was well-received because I got a call very quickly that, hey, we'd like to interview you. Are there uh, a couple of really key things you could tell our listeners that you included in that proposal that uh, really sealed the deal for Micron? A lot of it was the data. Uh, as fun as esports is and how cool it is, video games, it comes down a lot to numbers. And what I showed in my proposal was, hey, not only is esports something really cool, but people are spending their money on it, and you can improve your market position by getting more and more involved. And I was sort of preaching to the choir a little bit. Ballistics and Micron have been around to support gamers for over a decade. They knew gamers were great. That Just the esports scene was very new to them. So I gave them some numbers behind it. I ran some polls on my own Twitter showing you know people will really buy this stuff based off sponsorships. And I think that if I had to guess, that's what really uh, caught their eye in particular. Micron is a huge, huge company. You know, it's been around for many years, and I know basically they're involved in, in making things for memory, for, for computers. How did they see esports fitting into the company's overall strategy? Sure. So Micron has several lines. We own Lexar, we own Crucial, and one of them is named Ballistics. Ballistics is gaming DRAM that only gamers would want to use or high performance users as a whole. 
And it had sort of been a sub-brand of Crucial. It was called Crucial Ballistics previously. But with this resurgence of PC gaming, this resurgence, there are this new entrance to esports, they saw a great opportunity to split the ballistics brand off on its own. And now it's just ballistics. It's not Crucial Ballistics uh, or anything. It's just all on its own. So when they saw that they or they wanted to split it off, I assume that's about the time they said, hey, we need a gaming manager. Now, mind you, this is before my day, so that's a little bit of speculation, but I imagine that's how the process went. Now, you're involved uh, with Micron and everything from eSports team sponsorships, consumer electronics, event productions, program strategies. Please tell me a little bit specifically about what you do in each of these areas and and how they all fit together. So my job has a lot of different functions. A uh, big one is I coordinate with Micron's global teams, ballistic, or excuse me, ballistics global teams, and coordinate everything we do across the globe. Like recently, we sponsored IEM Katowice, which is in Poland. And it was my job to make sure certain activities were lined up. We had a player come to the booth to do autographs. That was on me to coordinate. We had social media coverage. It was my job to make sure that we could get the content that our social media department needed. So I hired a photographer for it. Um, So there's a lot of coordination between the different global regions. Uh, Additionally, when you come to like – Coordinating, I created a plan for a ballistics team for BlizzCon. Uh, it was a Heroes of the Storm team I was very familiar with in particular. And I set up an entire program to sponsor this team as ballistics. Not they would keep their team name, but they would change it and go play BlizzCon under our banner. They ended up winning the event, but there was a lot of things that went into making that event happen. From simple things such as printing jerseys and finding a vendor and approving designs and getting them to the players in time to coordinating the players for photo shoots, for media opportunities, that type of thing. That sounds uh, very interesting. I was reading Ballistics recently. Uh, got a deal with Fanatic, which is a professional esports organization, and they have players located around the globe. Uh, you guys have a partnership with them, and then I think it's with Top line gaming equipment to prepare them for competitions is is there uh with your equipment what type is it and and what is it exactly that these gamers are looking for to give them an edge so we provide them with top end dram and ssds and that's the ram for your computer and then a solid state hard drive and what these products do is offer them the optimal performance that they can get when you are a professional gamer milliseconds matter Individual frames matter. There are certain things you may have to do specifically on a certain frame. And if you have non-gaming DRAM and a traditional, you know, more disk hard drive, you're not going to get the amount of uh, speed that you need. And you might lose, say you lose 5, 10 frames a second. That's 5 or 10 frames every single second that pro gamer cannot act on now. So when we provide them with these resources, it allows them to play the games at their top level and to know that their hardware won't be the reason for any issues uh, they may have with their gaming experience. And we're taking a quick break so I can tell you about a new way to buy business travel. It's Upside.com. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth $100, $200, even $300 every time. You get savings and a big gift card. Free. 
Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now, when you use the code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $200 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $200 Amazon gift card. Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. The Forbes Sports Money Podcast is brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. Hi, I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stocking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Gamers are uh, certainly different from what we are accustomed to with athletes, say, in baseball, football, basketball, and so forth, even in some of the X-game athletes like skateboarders. And I heard they're a little quirky when it comes to marketing, and uh, you have to be very careful. They're very particular about sponsors, for example. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, gamers are very much, they have developed into their own crowd. They don't want to be a part of what everyone else is doing. They want their own thing. So as a perfect example, when we had our Crucial Ballistics line, this is, Crucial is very much at, aimed at an end consumer. If you go to Crucial.com, you can definitely see this. Or if you go to BallisticsGaming.com, you'll see a difference in how the websites are presented. Um, and gamers want their own thing. They don't want what's good enough. They want the best. They want it designed for them, marketed to them, everything about them. If you go look at gaming products on store shelves, you'll see the word game, gaming, video gaming, dozens of times across a box. They want their own brands, and that's why one of many reasons why esports has taken off. They don't want to watch basketball, football. They don't want to go online and you know, or go watch The Wire. They want to watch people play the games they grew up loving. How many teams does Micron sponsor currently? Currently, we sponsor three different teams. The first one is Fnatic. Fnatic is one of the absolute premier brands in esports. It's been around since, I believe, 2004. Uh, they have won countless world championships titles. I believe they are the third highest earning team for prizes in the history of esports. And they are the defining team for Europe. So we're very excited to work with Fnatic. Like you mentioned, that's a newer sponsorship that we just announced about a month ago. So that's awesome. 
We also work with a team named LDLC out of France. Uh, LDLC is a very big, for those who don't know, like a very big electronics distribution store. They're like a Best Buy in the Americas uh, or a Media Mart maybe for over on the European side. And they have their own sub esports team. And we sponsor and work with them because we're not only partners with LDLC in business, but we want to be involved with all the things they do to like their esports program. And then we also sponsor a team named Aria Esports. They're a little bit smaller of a team based out of France. Uh, I believe they've won two different Rainbow Six Siege World Championships. Very great team, very grassroots level, and we're real excited. We've been working with them for years to be there while they're building up. And when the time comes that they're a true Tier 1 entity, entity, excuse me, we will be with them from the start. Is it hard to avoid conflicts of interest, you know, if, if you're doing more than one team? You know, in other words, uh, do gamers on one team uh, get jealous about the relationship you have with gamers on a second team? I mean, that can happen, definitely. And conflicts of interest is actually a very hot discussion point in esports right now. The advantage of a sponsor is they can have conflicts of interest because we have no say in what the team does. Um, you know, there's no possibility of us saying, hey, you guys need to lose this game or do something unscrupulous uh, because we're just a sponsor. We're there to assist and amplify and gain some of their marketing value. But you could, I could see teams getting jealous. They see, you know, they're both sponsored by the same team. But look, this team's getting more focus. And a lot of it just comes down to marketability and resources. You know, when you're, de- for example, dealing with a team like Fnatic, they have a full-time media staff, full-time PR staff, full-time sales team, full-time, you know, they have an entire structure around them. So our ability to create content with Fnatic versus maybe a smaller team is much larger overall because they can be involved in it. It doesn't all have to come from us. So while people make it jealous, most of the time there's a very good reason behind it. And if you happen to be an esports player listening, don't let something like that uh, throw you off. That's just how business goes. Where the buzz that you're saying, there's a lot of buzz around conflicts of interest. What is most of that buzz concerning? Sure. So right now in a game called Counter-Strike Global Offensive, there's two major companies that own, I believe, seven of the top 15 teams roughly. And there's been a lot of discussion on whether these companies should be able to own multiple teams. Because when you own them, you have the ability to do things shady. And not saying these companies are shady, but if you don't have it exist in the first place, there's no ability for anything wrong to happen. It's only when you have things like right now, one ES Force Holdings owns both Virtus Pro and SK Gaming. Both are two of the top four teams in Counter Strike Go. Now, say ES Force Holdings makes more money off Virtus Pro. It could you could potentially enter a situation where SK and Virtus Pro play, and it becomes more valuable for Virtus Pro to win. And I, I I'm not going to like I said I don't want to insinuate that they're doing this currently, but it takes out any potential issues. It gets out ahead of the thing. When leagues like the National Basketball Association announced that they're going to start an esports NBA, uh, are you? Uh, is Micron and yourself involved in the discussions with the league? We are not currently. Um, we probably, you know, it's definitely something we'll talk to the NBA about eventually. We are a sponsor. If there's eyeballs, it's the place to be. For ballistics in particular, you know, uh, I don't know how much that makes sense as a console game uh, with the NBA series. 
but I would love to be involved. And there's a lot of leagues out there I do have discussions with, a lot of team owners that come to me for advice. So while I did not have any input in that one in particular, I've been involved in quite a few others. You know, if you look at the sponsorships, if you, if you just go back maybe four or five years, teams were getting sponsorships of, of maybe a million dollars. And I think you get some companies like VP now getting a hundred million dollars. Um, is, is that uh, emblematic of actually how big this sport is and how fast it's growing? It's two things. One, like you mentioned, it is big. It's growing quick. The potential to get in now and make a huge return later, or even right now, but even bigger return down the road is uh, out there. And that's why everybody's investing in it, left and right. Everybody wants to be a part of esports. But the real biggest reason is the engagement of these gamers and the understanding of how sponsorships work. A campaign I used, the StarCraft team used to do that I loved is they would go out of their way to tweet or Facebook message sponsors and say, thank you for sponsoring this team or this tournament or whatever. I, you know, even if I can't afford your product now, I'm going to think of you in the future. And you're seeing this type of engagement when we, you know, when you sponsor a baseball player and you're just, or a baseball team and you're a logo on part of the bleachers, how many people are really getting anything out of that? But what you're seeing with esports is the, and this is in particular what drew TBS uh, to start their e-league, is the engagement rates and how involved the fans are is significantly better than anything we've ever seen. With a, If I was to sponsor an MMA fighter, a UFC fighter, I would expect significantly less return out of that fighter than an esports player, despite mixed martial arts being a bigger global sport, or an MLB player, or anything like that. Just these fans really care. They're passionate, and they're willing to get online and both buy the product and support the companies. Okay, taking a step back now, because you're talking to an old-school guy here. <laughs> when you get into something like engagement rate, Patrick, what exactly is it you're referring to? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'll use social media as an example here. And say you make a post on Twitter. What you're looking for is not only people to see that post, but engage with it. Engage with it. And what they might do is they might reply to it. You might say, do you like Fanatic, as an example. We put out a tweet. And we're looking for people to reply to like that tweet, to retweet it, maybe it's a product-specific thing, to in some way not just see it but get involved with it emotionally. And that's what we're seeing with engagement rates in particular on social media is that esports has much higher than almost any other industry out there. If you were to try to sort of wrap your arms around the esports industry now, Patrick, uh, how big an industry would you say it is uh, in terms of revenue? Uh, there's easily hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue we're talking about here. And I believe Nuzu, a leading research uh, group for esports in particular, suggests by 2020 it will be a multi-billion dollar industry, or over a billion, excuse me. I think $1.6 billion is their estimate. So we're talking serious money, serious revenue. It's not just kids playing in their basement anymore. You said that report goes out to 2020? Yes, so that's, they that's do predictions. Three years. For that's only yep. three years. So we're talking... Well over a billion-dollar industry in three years, and, and that's including, I suppose, what? That's sponsorship money. That's, uh, is that, is that uh, ticket money, too, for example, when, let's say, Madison Square Garden or the Staples Center hosts an event? And uh, what is uh, the TV revenue as well? And 
streaming, I imagine. Is that is that another revenue stream? Yeah, streaming is another uh, revenue stream. And there is a lot of different areas this revenue comes from. You mentioned ticket sales. That's a great one. Ticket sales, sponsorships. Uh, a great example I'm just pulling up right now because I forget the exact dollar amount. But Riot Games, who make League of Legends, recently completed a deal with Major League Baseball to bring all their uh, uh, League of Legends streams to their platform. That was $200 million for two years. So $100 million a year for streaming rights for just League of Legends. One game, one tournament. $100 million a year. Wow. What makes for a great game? In other words, you know, you've been talking about League of Legends, for example. Why is that such a popular game and, and one of the ones that you see at a lot of these tournaments? So League of Legends is a little bit unique. Riot was the first game that real or first publisher that went all in on esports and really started investing large amounts of money in it and making a real professional production. I mean, outside of Korea, Korea is this weird anomaly. So outside of there, they're the first one to heavily invest into it. But you see a lot of common traits in esports games. First one is it's easy to follow. Even if you don't understand every detail of the game, you can get a general sense of what's going on just by watching. One time I had my little niece over. She was four years old. She comes and sits on my lap while I'm watching an eSports game. And within about five minutes, she's getting an idea of what's going on. She's like, oh, I think the red team's winning. Aren't they winning? I'm like, yeah, actually they are. You figured that out. Oh, the red team's in a good spot. And she was able to just decipher that from watching for a few minutes. The second part, and this is just as important, is this got to be a fun game to play. If you don't have a player base, you can't have an eSport. You need the players there that love the game and that will watch the game. And that's one thing League of Legends does well. They have the largest player base of any video game in the world. Uh, several hundred million players on a regular basis. So they have a lot of fans to pull from. You know, another big one, it's got to be fun to watch. This is a issue StarCraft ran to for a while, for several years. It was the most balanced, like, skillful game ever. But they had a period of two years where, despite that, it was incredibly boring to watch the game. And the game really dropped off significantly, significantly from that. They later, in some of their expansion packs, changed the game to be more fun and engaging and sort of bumped back up a little bit since that time. So you got to have a game that's fun to watch because it doesn't matter if there's all the skill in the world. If you don't enjoy it, why would you watch it, you know? Who actually picks what game is going to be used for what tournament? Normally that is the tournament administrators, and they all have different goals. You know, a big company, ESL is one of the biggest companies in esports as far as tournament administrators. So they work with publishers. And I'm sure, you know, I don't, I'm not privy to all their inside deals, but I'm sure publishers pay them some money for ESL to host circuits. How can we make this fiscally responsible? And B, will it be a big hit? Because, sure, if a publisher will give you a million dollars, that's great. But if it's going to take away from your event because it's just not an esports game, that can actually hurt you more than that revenue is worth. So they look at that as well. And then sometimes some, uh, hey, are we really focused on PC? Are we really focused on console? Do we want to mix of both, you know, like Xbox and PC? Uh, so it depends on what their individual goals are as a tournament administrator. Now, Micron is a publicly traded company, which means that the shareholders want to make money. They want the stock price to do well, which means you've got to generate a return on investment for the guys who run Micron. What is the most important thing or the most important things that you have to do in order to generate 
that ROI? So to generate the ROI, I have to be constantly on my toes. Uh, I need to be ahead of my competition. This is an industry that since it's so new, there's a lot of potential to do things that haven't been done. And if you do the things that everybody's already doing, you're just going to blend in the background. So you need to be bold and different. And that's why I came up, for example, with my Heroes of the Storm team for BlizzCon. There was no DRAM manufacturer uh, supporting a Heroes of the Storm team at that point in any capacity. I said, hey, let's get in there. This community would love it. This would be a cool chance to get ballistics on a big stage. Uh, it made total sense. So you got to be really bold and creative from – from that forward, you start actually having to get into the stats and learning about uh, you know, how to tell if you got an ROI, that type of thing. Did I read correctly that not too long ago you were at uh, an NBA eSports conference and Shaq was there and there was some pretty cool insight that you gained? Uh, actually, I wasn't at that one, but a lot of details were shared publicly. And for those that didn't hear, about a year ago, the NBA held a conference with all the team owners and several eSports experts. And they said, we think this esports is the future. I assume at that time they were planning their league that they've now announced. And they gave in a whole pitch why you should invest in esports and why this has potential for NBA teams. And since then, there's been eight different NBA teams that one way or another got involved with esports. And I'm sure there's more to come as well. You know, some of these teams, like I think the Miami Heat were one of the earlier ones that, that got involved in sponsoring a esports team is that different from the league starting an esports league the nba in other words could the heat be sponsoring an esports team outside of the nba esports league as well as being involved in the nba league yes and we already see some examples of that in fact the philadelphia 76ers have purchased an esports team they play in league of legends and several other games uh the team's name is dignitas and if you look on the court side at a 76ers game, they'll have Team Dignitas advertisements. We have, let's see, Sacramento Kings have bought into uh, NRG that also has Shaq involved as well, like you mentioned. The Miami Heat own a team that's involved in a lot of titles in our NBA. So there, there's the potential not just, hey, we can have an NBA E-team. We can have we can be involved in all these different esports and build another brand or even uh, promote the one they have further. Let me tap into your brain a second, Patrick, or, or that crystal ball I know you carry around with you. Uh, where do you see this going over the next few years? I see esports growing significantly over the next few years, and one big thing I think you're going to see come in the near future is TV uh, traditional TV stations are about to flock to esports in a massive way. And we've already seen the first entrant with TBS hosting their own product called E-League. Esports will grow like news who expects into a billion-dollar industry. And we're going to see a lot of TV stations come in, whether it be like ESPN, who's already involved, TBS that's already involved, or even companies that aren't. Like I, I would totally see a Fox, for example, a Fox, Fox Esports night. The big thing, I think, with these TV stations, and a lot of them are going to come in and go, guys, we know TV, we're doing this our way. And that's been tried. It was tried about 10 years ago, a product called CGS. And it was a complete disaster because this doesn't work the same way as traditional TV. You need an esports person to tell you how to do this. And that's one thing Turner with TBS did right. They hired people endemic to the esports scene that knew the audience, knew how it worked, and they've had tremendous success with their E-League product because of it. 
Is there also an indirect benefit for Micron being involved in esports in terms of your brand gets better known and even with customers who necessarily uh, you know, may not be involved in esports or play the games, but the branding is there and therefore it helps your business? I don't play basketball, but I buy Nikes because Michael Jordan was sponsored by them as a kid. I mean, that's all I wear, and that was because Michael, Michael Jordan wore them. I haven't played basketball in probably 12 years. I couldn't even hit a basket to save my life. So even if you're not involved in the esports scene, you can still be a gamer. And kids these days are growing up with game, you know, tablets in their hands, cell phones in another, and a Nintendo system on the TV. This audience is going to keep growing as new as the population expands and as younger kids start coming into adulthood. So even if they're not huge in the esports, if everyone around them knows, hey, Ballistics is a brand of top-end competitive DRAM and DRAM benefits your gaming experience, they're going to think of us when it comes time to upgrade their system or possibly make a new one. Do me a favor. Take me through a typical day for you. Sure. So I start early, normally wake up about 6, get going, which takes middly longer than I'd like. I'm normally in the office about 7 to 7.30 a.m., and I get in early because I do a lot of interaction with our uh, with Europe in particular. And due to time zone differences, that's the morning for us. So I get in about 7. I normally take some conference calls with various European uh, agents, whether it's internal Micron staff or external like Fnatic. I go through the day. I do a lot of meetings, advise on how we should do campaigns, things like that. And then I also have to create my program and constantly expand it as well. So I have to constantly be building on top of maintaining all these existing programs. I normally get done about 5 o'clock each day, so it's about a nine-hour day. Uh, I take only a quick 20-minute lunch, and I'm working straight through. It's a lot of work. A lot of time in Excel spreadsheets, too, as well. (laughs) How big is your group? Ballistics is huge. We have... People all across the world, we have marketing managers in China, we have our product managers here in the U.S., Europe, you name it. Uh, We gain the benefit of the Micron structure and size. So there's not an exact number because some people perform functions for multiple companies. They might do things for Crucial and for Ballistics. But I would say there's a group of at least 20 to 30 people that spend a good good amount of time on esports and gaming and Ballistics in particular. How do you crash out at the end of the day? Oh, at the end of the day, you think, hey, I'm around games all day, go home, probably want nothing to do with games. No, I live, breathe, and die this stuff. This is what I love. So when I go home, I uh, turn on my computer and turn on Twitch TV stream and watch some games. On the weekends, I'll curl up on the couch, put a live esports tournament on my TV, and sit there for six hours and watch it like somebody would watch a football game. This is what I do all day, every day. I'm on Reddit. I'm reading about the newest developments in each gaming community. I'm on Twitter talking to my fans and talking to various people within the industry. I converse more with people in esports than I do most of my friends and family at this point. So, Patrick, this has been a blast. Thanks a lot for coming on Forbes Sports Money. It's been an absolute honor, and thank you so much for again for inviting me. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed Unscripted. 
Unscripted. Yeah, let's go with that. A merit made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You were no, the very this, first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Stephen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.